Welcome back, beautiful people. This is episode 77 of An Untold Narrative, uh, where we feature creatives from all around the world. And today's guest, uh, Austin Pietro Bono, nailed that last name, uh, is actually joining us from Shanghai. I think you're going to be our first uh, Asian-based guest, which I'm super pumped nice. about. Uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, sweet. Thanks, David, for having me. Of course. Yeah, no, it's uh we got connected through a friend um and then we we chatted a few months ago and your journey's really been incredible. You have a different take on creativity than most of uh my guests, so I'm really excited to to deep dive into it. Um you are based in Asia obviously. We we definitely want to talk about your journey and how you got there and why you're living there as a kind of like an expat. I think those stories are always amazing, but um what I like to start with usually is is like kind of how you got your creative start or like, you know, where you grew up or kind of like your, your family kind of, uh, you know, youth and kind of uh, what's inspired you along the way. And, you know, just a little bit of the, the beginning parts of your journey. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in, in Phoenix in Arizona, um, which uh, wasn't the most like exciting childhood, but I, I feel like I always, I definitely was drawn to, I, I wouldn't necessarily have, of known to call it design when I was a kid, but, um, I was always obsessed with like, uh, just like products. Um, and especially like then, like, for example, like when the iPod came out, I was like, Ooh, like there's this thing called a, a creative zoom. I don't know if you remember those, but they were like some of the first MP3 players that had like the touch sliders and they yeah. had like these cool colors on it. And then, you know, I, I had a zoom after that. Um, so like, I was always sort of drawn to, I guess, product design, um, but uh, was always sort of like interested in sort of these, like not necessarily like mainstream products, but or like mainstream ones, but ones that had sort of implemented technology in a different way or earlier, um, or just sort of like a, a more interesting take, especially in terms of like industrial design language. And I didn't have any of this terminology as a kid, but I just thought it was really interesting was always drawn to kind of this like gadget and device um, kind of culture. And and so I think that was sort of the, my, my dad was also uh, is a uh, aeronautical engineer. So I was always around sort of things being, being made and, and kind of designed. So um, I think that was a big part of it. Um, yeah. And then uh, growing up in Arizona, I was just extremely bored. Um, and so, <laughs> Going to college, I was like, I got to get out of here. And so I uh, I went to school in upstate New York um, to an engineering school called RPI. Um, and I got there and I was like, okay, I'm going to be an engineer. And like, I don't know. I'm not like super interested. I was I was never super interested in like, I guess what makes a good engineer, like the, the core like calculus and sciences. But I was like, I want to make stuff or like have some sort of, I just had none of the vocabulary to, you know, now having, having worked in sort of the creative industries, I have sort of the perspective and the like mental tool set to think about it. But back then I didn't know what like branding was or like how you could sort of contribute to, to sort of the product experience without necessarily being like an engineer. Um, mm. So anyways, I, I got, I got to engineering school and I was like a terrible at the coursework and then um, just so disinterested in it. And um, so I was sort of like, I don't know if this is like a great fit, but 
the school had like a very small um, design program uh, that was sort of like modeled uh, like the uh, Stanford D school. So it was, everyone had this design degree, but then you had to have some sort of dual major. So whether you were design and mechanical or design and comms, um, everyone had sort of this like dual um, skill set that they were pursuing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was able to transfer into that program. And I think that's where a lot of my interest in design in general um, sort of started. Uh, had a lot of exposure to kind of core studio design coursework, sketching, CAD, um, but also a big part of the program was thinking about sort of these large problems, like how do you develop products for sort of this extreme use case? So uh, I think a little different than like an industrial design degree where you're like really focused on core skills like sketching and, and like really getting the craft down. This was a little mm. less focused on craft and more like, I guess, problem scoping and, and sort of applying engineering to to different, different problems. Uh, but yeah, um, it just, I, I think the, the ultimate thing I, I got from this is that we were a small group of people that um, were interested in working at some really interesting companies. And so uh, I was able to, uh, during school, work at uh, Hasbro, um, which is sure. a yeah, uh, big company, yeah. company in Rhode Island. Um, and then uh, that led me to then working at a startup in Boston that was spun out of the Media Lab. Uh, they do, three, it's called Form Labs. They do 3D yeah. printing. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so I was able to basically go from a, an R&D perspective at Hasbro in college to my last internship in college was with Formlabs, and, and that was on a proper marketing team. And that was sort of my first kind of professional experience working in design, but not from like a product development. You know, we were doing the brand and marketing. And so that was... That was kind of the first time I was connecting dots of like, oh, I don't have to necessarily be a product designer to sort of contribute to things like the like user experience or or kind of what people interact with and and kind of the emotions that a product or a brand can kind of instill in people. Um, and yeah, so that sort of, I think going out of college, that kind of set me with like a good kind of perspective. And then, um, and then I got, uh, yeah. And then after college, I got, uh, I took a job with IBM. They had like this very sort of open role that was sort of like, you'll be doing marketing and design. We don't really know what you're going to do yet, but we're like hiring a bunch of you and it's going to be cool. And it's in New York. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't, it sounds, it sounds really interesting. I just don't know exactly what it's going to be. Um, and yeah, that turned out to be a really great role. Cause I, I was able to, uh, I started, I started there as like a product designer doing, um, digital products. So we were basically using, um, IBM's like AI model to, to do like sales and marketing software. Um, and then I transitioned to a brand role where I was like, uh, working on an actual brand team. And at the time IBM was sort of, uh, doing a lot of work on its corporate brand, like typeface. And so. Um, I was actually able to work on like the launch of uh, a typeface um, during my time there and got a lot of exposure to some senior creative directors that they had there. Um, and it just set me up with a ton of experience that I think would then 
sort of launched kind of the next phase of my career. Yeah, that's um thanks for the fast track time. That was a that's a lot to unpack there. That is a that is a healthy resume, dude, in like a short <laughs> amount of time. Um yeah, I I was I think in school I sort of I to me, uh, like a lot of a lot of students were doing something either like a co-op or right. um, or studying abroad, and I just didn't really. I, I wasn't I wasn't a fi- in a financial position to do study abroad, and I was like, if this co-op, the co-op program, the co-op deal sounds awesome. You get to basically not do school and get paid mm-hmm. um, like a full time employee for a semester, and so um, I sort of really gravitated towards that. And I guess all during college, I was very focused on like, I want to try a bunch of different things now so that I have a better understanding of what I want to sort of do when I leave. Where where does that come from? Like, that's super rare, right? Like, like, you know, not everybody's driven to try a bunch of shit and then figure out what they like and what they don't like. Like you went from like a toy company to a 3D printing company to IBM, which is those, those three in itself are two, like three different universes. Yeah. I, I, mm, I'm not totally sure. I do know like the, the exposure we had within the program, I think was really sort of addicting for me. Like we, RPI doesn't really sort of um, get looked at by, by a lot of companies like, like Apple and, and sort of these creative companies, but this program, this like literally this, I think it was a hundred of us across all four years, but um it was like out of the small group, people were going to like um, Apple and Burton and Hasbro and starting their own, their own companies. Um, and so to me, that just seemed like the place to be um, in terms of working in sort of innovation and design. Um, and yeah, once, once you're, I don't know, I felt like once I was in the program and I was able, you know, after this sort of first experience at Hasbro, um, you sort of get noticed and, and other people are willing to talk to you and kind of bring you on, especially for an internship. It's so low commitment. Right. Um, and yeah, I just, I was sort of hooked on it. <laughs> so, so do you, you obviously start, it's so funny. You said you started in like engineering and I actually, so I went to Wentworth Institute of Technology in Boston, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, which yeah. is, so they didn't accept me into architecture, which is what I wanted to do, but they accepted me into civil engineering and I hated civil engineering. Like it was not creative. It was very like, straight up, like learn about bricks, like, you know, very, right. like, very like engineering focused. And, and then I switched over into design. So it's super funny that you say that. Uh, do you, do you still use part of that engineering brain? Like, you, I mean, we're going to get into like the, 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 the branding side and like the more creative stuff that you do, but like, it sounds like you inherently do have like that tinker brain problem solving brain, like, you know, maybe from the roots of your father uh, and things like that. Yeah, I think, I definitely use it. So much of my work now is sort of split between kind of traditional graphic design. So sort of visual compositions. And then the other part is motion design. And I definitely use it um, in a lot of the motion design work. So mm. so much of that is less like, whereas I, I think graphic design is your, your sort of composing different uh, visuals on a screen or on a, a piece of paper and, the motion stuff is like partially that, but a lot of it is figuring out things like timing or, you know, writing, you know, writing a code actually to sort of streamline things or, or, 
or have more advanced animation. And so um, I definitely use, I, I use a lot of it. I use a lot more of that sort of skill set and mindset now that I'm, uh, you know, I'm a lot of my work now is, is most, mostly motion. Yeah. Talk about um, the experience at IBM. Cause that's obviously a company that everybody should know. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it is a, it's a, a large, large behemoth in the world of, of companies. Um, what's like the, what's the best part and the worst part from your experience from working there? Uh, so I think the, the, the best part, um, was just the exposure I was able to get to really talented designers at a, at such a early part in my career. So this, this brand team I was on, uh, the creative director that was, so basically IBM went through this whole phase of, right. They recognized the value of design. And so they, they spun up this whole sort of business unit, IBM design, um, but they were still trying to the brand from like a, especially a digital perspective still existed in all these sort of like compartments um, across the internet. And so they were trying to pull a lot of, a lot of that back kind of into a central place. Um, and they, they, they were able to hire um, a couple of creative directors that had come from, uh, they had been at Wolf Allens and then uh, MoMA. Um, and so they basically hired them from MoMA to come to IBM with the sort of the charter of, of and the responsibility of bringing a lot of that, that very high level brand design um, back to like a, a core central um, visual system. And then, uh, kind of tying that system around a typeface. And so just like a monumental project, like any sort of company doing its own typeface, especially in-house is, um, especially for a company that has such a big footprint as IBM. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just a very like large and, and kind of like a global scale project. Um, and I was contributing as a motion designer, but I really got to have a lot of, uh, it was just a, it was a great education in a very short amount of time on sort of that craft element and, and how, how kind of high level professional, uh, graphic designers operate and run teams, uh, a lot of stuff that, you know, my college experience wasn't really focused on. So I think that part was really amazing. I think the worst part of IBM is it is huge and it's extremely slow. Um, and so I think that's ultimately why I did end up leaving IBM is I, I, I had this great ex exposure to these sort of late stage career designers. Um, but I was so early in my career that I definitely was sort of looking to, to move at a faster pace or just like learn, learn more. Um, yeah. Yeah. Know. That makes a lot of sense. And a lot of the, the, the creatives that I get the opportunity to talk to and myself, similarly, it's like, the corporate structure is amazing for, for exactly what you said, the, the exposure to a, a vast variety of projects or like the, the scale of the project. Mm. But at some point it's like, if you're a, a creative and a tinkerer and, and you're always like trying to fast track things, like it's going to slow you down as, as, as that kind of person. So where, um, where did you go from IBM? Like, I really want to get into like the, like how the hell did you end up in China? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I was at IBM sort of just like, I was, uh, I was in New York city and I was kind of like, I'm interested in going somewhere else, but also I, because, because of the, my, the work my dad had done, um, at one point he, 
he worked for a, a Japanese semiconductor company. And so he was in Japan a lot and he brought us on a couple of business trips. So that was my only exposure to East Asia, but I, I, I had been there a few times. So I, I, I was, you know, I, I really liked Japan. I liked sort of generally like East Asian culture. And so um, I was sort of like contemplating this move and I was like, you know, it'd be really cool to live in Asia before like the end of my twenties. And so I, these were just sort of things I was um, thinking in my head. But um, one thing I, I, I sort of always do and I still do is I, um, I keep like a list of brands that I, I admire and like mm. are interested in. Um, and so and I, I sort of like edit it as I sort of go and, and kind of learn more about teams. And I don't know, I just, it's like a very active list that I keep updated, but um, I was going through this list sort of while I was kind of looking casually at stuff in New York. Um, and then one of the brands was um, this phone company called OnePlus. Um, I had first heard of them when I was like working at um, Form Labs, the 3D printer company, I think, but um, they just seemed really cool. It was like, they were sort of doing a lot of interesting things with marketing, but they had a lot of um, industrial design touches for their product that I hadn't really seen uh, before. And so they, they seemed really interesting. And then, so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll check them out. So I went to like the website and then there was like a job opening for a graphic designer um, in Shenzhen. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know why they would hire like me, but I don't know, let's, I, I just like, look at the, look at the job posting. And then I remember from the job posting, it was, you could like clearly see that it was written by someone in sort of like marketing and brand speak. It wasn't just like one of these LinkedIn mm. postings that, um, that you just kind of do for SEO purposes. And so I was like, oh, they've got like a copywriter or something. And I was like, hmm, maybe, I don't know. I was like, whatever, I'm just going to send my resume and portfolio and see what happens. Um, and then I got, I, I got an email from their HR team and they were like, oh yeah, like, um, we have tons of foreigners here. We, we have a team of probably 40 to 60, um, foreigners that are all in Shenzhen. Um, and wow. we kind of run the brand globally out of here. Um, and so I was like, okay, oh, wow. So then from that point, it was like, oh, game on this, this is interesting. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then. I think probably like a month and a half later, it was a long interview process, but then they gave me an offer and it was sort of like, do you want to come to China and like, join us? Like, here's like, like, you know, here's the offer. And I was, I just remember the day I got the offer. I was like, if I, if I say no to this, I will always think about like that opportunity. I had to like move to a completely like foreign place that I, I had no experience with. And, um, so I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, like two and a half or like three weeks later, I, uh, I, f I flew from LA to Hong Kong and then was in Hong Kong for like a weekend and then literally just like crossed the border on the, on the Metro into Shenzhen <laughs> with like all of my stuff in a suitcase. Yeah, with your, with your life in a couple bags. Yeah. Yeah. Literally a suitcase, like a, a roller bag and a backpack. <laughs> So the offer must have been like appealing, right? Like I like I want to like there's a ton of creatives that listen to this, right? And like mm -hmm. the, the job and the career and when when to make take a risk and when not to take a risk is like always a topic of conversation. Like the offer must have been like semi decent to be able to be like, okay, I'm gonna give up everything I have in New York to like 
move to a different planet? Or were you just like, no, it's the thrill of the experience that I, I'm seeking right now? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a mix of both. I mean, like the 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 offer wasn't the the offer wasn't like crazy high, but when you, I mean, moving to a completely new place, especially like not not rural China, but a, not Shanghai or Beijing, like yeah. they, those two cities are very much like competitive with New York in terms of. Mm. Um, cost of living but a place like shenzhen is like w once you do all the sort of math around how much you're sort of actually making there it, the offer was was pretty good just like comparatively to cost like, of living. yeah um so it sort of checked that box from like uh it's not that much of a risk like it's it's not the same pay but it's um it's also not you know your your take home is still quite a lot and then um and then, yeah, it was also just a little bit of like, I'm not going to let that sort of get in the way of, of seeing what this is about. Um, what was, what was the, like, you didn't, you obviously didn't know anybody in, in China. No. What was the, what was the biggest like fear for, I, from you? I, it's just so like, it's so much, um, I think this, the first six months of moving there is so much just mental work of figuring out how to how to sort of acclimate and survive. I think it's probably easier. You know, I have a lot of friends in Shanghai that moved to China after they had studied Chinese in college, so they actually had a, a quite a good base of the language. I knew nothing about. I knew I knew not one word of Chinese or anything really. I mean, generally things about the culture, but from a very American perspective. So I literally just kind of rocked up in, in Shenzhen and was like, okay, this is where I live now, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, it's a lot of culture. It was a lot of like kind of dealing with culture shock while also trying to like start a new job. Um, but it was definitely, it was, yeah, it was definitely worth it. And it was, um, especially like pre COVID once you got sort of acclimated to kind of life, um, in China, it was, it was awesome, especially like where Shenzhen is, it's, you're close to Hong Kong, you're close to all of Southeast Asia for, so for me, it was like, and I think it's still a part of my experience here. Like travel is so connected to like why I live here. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just an awesome, awesome experience. Like being able to still work kind of working towards a design career, um, but being in a place where. I can I can sort of do that during the week and then on weekends be in a place like Hanoi or um, like uh, different parts of Thailand or Indonesia. It was it was just amazing being able to sort of have that um, that balance. Um, mm. And then it feeds back into the work too because so much of the work at OnePlus was around community and especially in those that those kind of the like the 2017 to 2019 period. So much of it was about the camera. So like mm. literally when I would travel, it was all shooting with our device. I would literally bring like a few devices, shoot different shots. Um, so like for me, it felt kind of like just fun and travel, but I, I think it was also sort of building it into the fuel. work. Well, yeah, yeah. It was fuel to the, the creative fire. Yeah. That's amazing. That, I mean, that sounds like a, that sounds like a beautiful, like mixture of like your twenties, like you said, like that it was like a, on your quote unquote bucket list and like, you know, you were able to to tackle it um 
Yeah. And for those like that aren't aware, like when you're in like, let's call it mainland China, maybe not as like rural as what you're talking about. Like it Shenzhen's mm -hmm. still a city, but like, there's like very little English signs even like there's not like, it, you know, for somebody who doesn't speak the language or know anything about it like that, that I don't know if I could do that. Like that is a like, ha like hats off to you. Like that takes a, a lot of gusto. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was super, I, I was really lucky because, um, you know, the, the team at OnePlus, you know, you have a group of foreigners around you that are, mm. many of them were in a similar situation at one point. And so you have this really great kind of like support network of people that are like, let me show you how to do it, or let me take you around and kind of like help you because yeah, it's um, because I think if you're on your own, it's, it's just, it can be like really overwhelming. Um, mm. And the, the late, yeah. So I guess what I meant to with like the, um, Shenzhen is, I think Shenzhen from like a, a sort of Western perspective is a lot of times equated with Beijing and Shanghai in terms of um, sort of like economic and, and sort of China has like a tier system for their cities. So it's sort of even with them on kind of uh, on those things. And I think it's, it's perception is as a, a very outward facing city, but um, internally in mainland China, Shanghai and Beijing are where a lot of foreigners are so english is much more widely spoken and it's a place where you just run into foreigners like uh, like on the street whereas like shenzhen is very much it's like it's the home of china's tech companies and so they're chinese tech companies building products for a chinese market and so it's actually where um most people that you meet in shenzhen are actually not from shenzhen they're from other parts of china so you meet lots of people from like Hunan or, or like Wuhan or um, uh, Jiangsu, like these different provinces that are sort of nearby, but um, not directly from Shenzhen. Um, so it's, and, it's much more inward facing. And uh, so, and so today you talked about the 2017 to 19 period. Today you live in Shanghai. And mm -hmm. so talk about like, I'm curious as to like, okay, you got this amazing experience. You worked for this, this phone company OnePlus, which I personally, I've never heard of. I'm sure it's amazing. Um, what, what drove you to stay, right? Like, is it, is it like a culture thing for expats? Like once you're hooked, like you're hooked and like, you just like love living there. Or like what, what, I guess what fueled like the next phase of your career and your life? Yeah. It's, so I, when I was, so I had been there for at OnePlus for about three years and I was, I was sort of getting to the same place where I was at IBM. Also, we had a lot of different uh, changes within the team. People were like, we were expanding to different geographies. So people were leaving China to spin out like a London office or um, move elsewhere. And so it was definitely like a period of transition for the company. Um, I'd been able to do some like really awesome projects. Like uh, we spun out like a, a brand magazine at OnePlus and um, was able to like, uh, I actually got to shoot photos for the McLaren team because we had this partnership with McLaren um, oh, at the British Grand Prix. So I was like in the pit with the with their crew um, shooting photos for this magazine that we just decided to like do. Um, so had done some a, a couple things like that in the past year that were really awesome. And I think for me felt like a sort of capstone on the experience. And so <laughs> I was sort of um, looking... I was, uh, you know, at this point I had enough sort of high profile work where I was talking to some agencies back in New York or, um, other places in Asia, just tr like trying to see what my options were. And 
thinking about, you know, I, I definitely didn't want to, I was interested in still being an expat, but I was also like the, the work comes first. And so just trying to evaluate what was, um, what was possible. Um, and I remember, um, when I, I went up to Shanghai for a couple of weekends and I was like, man, this place is great. Like it's got, it's still in China, but it has, um, a lot of the things that I loved about Hong Kong, like living in Shenzhen, you go over to Hong Kong a lot. Um, and so it feels a lot, it has the same sort of, um, sort of vibe and ad attitude that Hong Kong felt like it had. And so I, I was like, oh, that, that could be cool. And there were ton tons of agencies, um, in Shanghai, like, um, just like big agencies, small agencies, lots of different startups. Um, so there's just a lot going on creatively. Uh, and so I, I think at one point I was just like, mm, maybe try, I'm going to try to see if I can, if I'm going to live longer in China, I think moving to a city like Shanghai will sort of help kind of take this from like a three-year experience to like a five to six-year experience. Um, and so, so yeah, I, um, I was just sort of, uh, I literally was, like, had just started the job search and then uh, uh, ended up um, the the team because uh, I, I was like I sort of had just gotten my portfolio up and stuff and then uh, the team at Binance actually contacted me um, about uh, a brand designer role there and I was like oh I don't know like this sounds cool too it was this sort of the same thing with OnePlus I didn't I knew the I knew a little bit about the brand. I didn't know a whole lot about the business. Um, mm -hmm. and so took like a leap of faith and, and joined them and, uh, and then moved up to Shanghai. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And obviously Binance is one of the bigger, uh, crypto financial based companies for those unaware. Mm -hmm. Um, and so how many years have you been now in Asia total? Uh, I've been here just, uh, like five and a half years. Okay. So, so you're approaching that five to six year window stint. Like, are you, yeah. are you, is the, is the Asian travel still fueling that creative fire of like doing this motion work? Like I know we've chatted offline, like you do some freelance mm. stuff on the side, depending on what it is. And like your Instagram is like wildly curated around photos of, of Asia and things like that. Like, are, are you still creatively fueled from being there? Or like, are you thinking about like, you know, maybe over the next year or two, like maybe it's time to come back home. Um, I definitely, I definitely don't think I'll be coming home. So, well, I mean, <laughs> I need to come home from like a, we're finally, finally done with COVID. So I, I can like physically come home for a visit, but I, I really enjoy being an expat and I, I really enjoy living in Asia. So I don't think I'm, I'm necessarily done with, with that yet, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to sort of, I'm definitely in like a, sort of a, a point where I'm, I'm starting to think about, you know, what's next um, and kind of where do I go from here? Uh, especially, yeah, I think um, I'm still really interested in Asia, but uh, I, I just think there's some really cool things. Uh, you, you mentioned kind of my freelance work, but I've been doing a couple projects with um, illustrators that are based in Bangkok. And I, I think there's like so much creative talent right now that's coming out of Southeast Asia, um, places like Bangkok, um, Jakarta, uh, Kuala Lumpur. So I'm uh, sure. pretty interested in, you know, what's happening there. So, I, you know, I'm just trying to sort of um, evaluate it still. And I think now that 
in, in China, the borders have just reopened. Um, so I think this next year is going to kind of allow for a lot more travel. Um, and so I'm hoping to be able to kind of do some of that research and kind of, I guess, soul searching on, on like what, what comes next. Um, but yeah. Uh, what, what an exciting time then. I mean, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. We were, we were, uh, for all the listeners, we were just chatting, uh, right before we started recording around, um, the borders being open, but like China took a different approach from the rest of the world, really of, of, you know, COVID control and, you mm. know, really locking things down and, you know, quarantine rules and, um, and things like that. So it's amazing to hear that you can now get out and you can explore again. Mm. Um, what's something like in the next, let's call it a couple of years that like you've given a little bit of thought of like a project or a type of work that you really want to kind of embrace or, or try to tackle? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a good question. I, so I get, I get asked a lot because I do like on Instagram, I post a lot of travel photos. And so I've, I, I get a lot of questions of like, when are you going to do some sort of like photo journal or like a zine yeah. of, of kind of photos? And so I, I am like continuously thinking about how do I sort of connect my interest in design with um, just either photography or just, um, or just travel in general. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to sort of think through something that's not just like a photo book, um, but something that, um, like for example, like uh, I love. There's this column in the the New York Times called um, the Metropolitan Diary, um, where readers uh, sort of send in these short stories, or like that can even be poetry. Uh, that that's always centered around something about New York City. Um, and what I love about it is like having lived there. It really sort of does give you a sense. You know, you might not necessarily be familiar with the place or the people that the story is talking about, but um, it feels inherently tied to this place. Um, mm. and it always comes with like a nice little like charcoal. Um, they have a, they have a really good graphic designer there that, that does these illustrations, the very simple, like kind of like charcoal illustrations, but something like that, I think expanded for like these places I've been able to experience in Asia, I think would be really interesting. So allowing an audience to sort of feel that same proximity and that, um, that, that sort of detailed, um, experience of life in a place like, I don't know, like middle of Indonesia or, or rural China or, um, or like urban Thailand. I, I think these are all things that I think people are interested in. Um, and I think it's becoming, uh, you know, I think, I think these places are, are becoming more popular for tourism, but also for, for commerce, you know, we like Singapore was a huge, like kind of like capital for tech and finance and, and they've sort of reached like a, a capacity with like the number of foreigners they can handle. And so I've seen a lot of talent now going to places like Malaysia or Indonesia. Um, and so I think these are places that are going to be much more sort of as the economy shifts and you have, especially post COVID, you have like distributed teams and remote work is much more kind of mainstream. And I think you're going to see a lot of interesting things and growth come out of this area. And so I'm definitely really interested in in any sort of storytelling around around these places because they're I, just in my travel. It's there's just some really amazing places in in Asia that I think sure. often get overlooked on like the usual tourist route. Um, right. No, that sounds like an awesome project, and like I love the the storytelling or the ties even to like 
you know, what's another creative has done with like the New York Times. I think that's such mm-hmm. a cool. I didn't know about that segment. I've, I've never lived in New York, but I think that's fa- I got to look it up. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, super, super inspiring. Um, one, uh, a couple more questions for you, then we'll wrap it up. Mm-hmm. I this question I ask for uh, or I started to ask all the guests, um, you know, a lot of the people have um, been fortunate are successful or quote unquote successful, depending on what your definition is, what is, or, or who is somebody you would give like flowers to who's helped you along your journey or your way, or who's inspired you or, um, you know, really helped you, I guess it could be, you know, Asia based, it could be homeland based, it could be, you know, work based, so like a coworker or anybody like who's, who's really like helped you out, like along your, your journey. For sure. Uh, I, I'm going to say two people. I hope that doesn't break the, the no, 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 it's fine. Um, I think, uh, so the senior designer, when I, when I was at IBM and I, I had sort of made this move from like UX and, and like, did like UX and digital product design to this brand team and, and the, uh, the sort of senior designer on the team that I joined, um, this designer named Dave, he, uh, he really sort of I didn't, I didn't join this team with any sort of like motion or animation background. And, um, he basically spent like six to eight months sitting with me, very sort of like intensively showing me, um, and giving me like a a foundation and tools like after effects. Um, and I think that was probably some of the most valuable learning I've done in my career or even in college, because it just sort of like my career at post IBM has always been like motion, motion graphics through the lens of branding. Um, and I just wouldn't be able to do any of that work without that, that sort of base that he gave me. Um, and it was, you know, it wasn't part of his, his formal responsibilities, but he really did give me like a half a year of just like, I'm going to show you how to do this. Um, wow. and I think it's been so valuable. Um, awesome. So, so yeah, definitely he's been a, a very big, uh, important influence in my career. Um, and then uh, my last manager at OnePlus is this uh, guy named Diego. And I just think he's a, a, a very strong brand and, and marketing thinker. And so we have a, we're just even now like two jobs post OnePlus. It's like we we're constantly sort of like sending ideas to each other or like chatting and like seeing what we think about both things that we're working on, but also things that we sort of see um, being done elsewhere. Um, And just trying to uh, sort of think through, you know, how we think, uh, you know, what we agree on and kind of, um, you know, where we can kind of push each other on ideation. Um, So yeah, he's, he's always like continually challenging me to think about, um, brand and marketing in different ways. I love that. No, those sounds like two great people that you have in your life or in your corner, um, mm-hmm. on your, on your, on your path. That's awesome. Austin, this has been a, a tremendous episode, uh, of an untold narrative, um, 77 in it's always amazing to hear from somebody with a completely different background from anybody else I've talked to, um, and an experience that is really one of a kind. So, uh, super appreciate you joining us. Um, last question, where could people find you? Uh, website, we talked about your Instagram a couple of times now, um, where could people follow along, uh, your journey if they want to check it out? Yeah. Um, so yeah, my Instagram is, uh, Snoston. It's an SN before Austin, Snoston the bear. Um, I'm also really active on Vimeo. Um, so, okay. um, 
yeah, I, I forget what my URL is. It's like Austin P or something, but um, that's we'll where sure I, to, we'll make sure to link it in the bio. Okay, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so yeah, Instagram and Vimeo are, are where I'm, I'm quite active on. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. This has been super cool. Sweet. Thanks for having me, David. This is awesome.